Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for being here as we dive into a brand new series, as Rebecca said. Uh, really excited about the series, and the reason I'm excited about it is because, um, because of what we're going to explore. And I really do hope that um, I can do a good job explaining this really cool and amazing um, idea that I think can really help us understand Christianity um, really well. It's, it's helped me a bunch, and I really hope I can explain it. Uh, before we get to that, just let me remind you, last week, um, we celebrated Easter, um, and it, it was awesome celebrating Easter and remembering that Easter is an invitation into grace. That, that's, that's what it is. It's this beautiful invitation into grace, and if you've been around for the first uh, couple series of this year, um, you know that we also spent uh, several weeks exploring our understanding of God, um, and, and, and exploring our understanding of God, we said, and, and is always so important because uh, so often, without even knowing it sometimes, we have a skewed or flawed understanding of who God is and how He sees us. And so um, those ideas are sometimes, you know, we don't mean it. We don't want to. We want to understand who He is. We try to understand who He is. But sometimes we pick up a flawed understanding from our upbringing or from um, a negative church experience or from culture, and not just secular culture. Sometimes church culture, like, hands us ideas of who God is that Jesus never talked about, that Jesus didn't say this is who God is. And so sometimes we pick up these flawed or skewed understandings of who God is. And so we explored in the past, you know, first couple series of this year, the God Jesus knows. Who is the God Jesus knows? Who's the God that Jesus presents? And we ask this question, is my understanding of God consistent with the God that Jesus knows? Is my understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus knows? If you weren't there for this series, they're online, so if you want to catch up. But here's what we discovered, and this is so, so cool. We discovered that according to Jesus, God is good. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's generous, and he's unconditionally loving. And we looked at how God handles the problem of sin, and we saw that the way he handles the problem of sin is through self-sacrifice and through grace and through mercy. It's just beautiful how Jesus talks about it. And we looked at the gospel or the good news. That's what the gospel means. The gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and that if we accept his invitation into that beautiful grace, that, that our sin is forgiven, and that sin never, ever, ever has to separate us from God. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what Jesus brought, of what Easter brought, of what, what, what the God Jesus knows who he is. It's this stunning, stunning picture. But here's what I want to do today. Today, I want to ask a question, and I don't know if you've ever thought this or not, but the question I want to ask, with, with all of that in mind, all of the like, Easter created, the God who Jesus knows is wonderful, gracious, kind, with all of that in mind, here's the question I want to ask. What now? <laughs> what, you know, what now? I mean, what do we do now? If, if maybe you have, if I have accepted this invitation into grace, if I've discovered the God that Jesus knows and I've placed my faith in him and I've trusted that, that he died for my sins and that, that he's forgiven me, now what? what? What do I do with that? Well, what does that mean for my like, life? And I don't know, again, if you've ever thought about this, but maybe you're a Christian and you grew up in church and church has always been an important part of your life. Have you ever wondered, is this what Christianity is all about? You know, go to church, read my Bible, pray, and one day I'll go to heaven. Have you ever wondered, is that, is that what Christianity is about? Is Christianity just about having my sins forgiven, 
and going to heaven one day. Is, is, that, is that what Jesus came to do? Is that, is that what this is about? Or is there something more to it that impacts my life now? Is there something more to it? Or maybe you're brand new to this Christianity thing, to this faith thing, and you've just discovered this, this grace, and, and, and it's very inviting. It's like, oh my gosh, grace, is that what it's about? That's different to what I experienced. Wow, that's inviting. And you're beginning to believe in the God Jesus knows, and you're beginning to, to accept his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And, and something inside you feels like it's changing, but maybe you're wondering, okay, cool, that's amazing, and I'm so excited, and I'm so grateful, but again, how does that impact my life? Does it? And if it does, how does that look? How does that look in my life now? Or maybe you're not really sure about Christianity, and you're here, and you're kind of like, I don't, I, I, no thanks. I, maybe you're exploring, maybe you're asking questions, but you're, you're, maybe the reason you would say, I'm not really a Christian, or I'm kind of pushing away, is because the picture of Christianity that you've seen has, has just not really been that inviting. Or maybe you're not too sure what Christianity looks like practically because of the pictures of Christianity you've seen, and maybe sometimes you've bumped into a Christianity in America that kind of makes you cringe a little bit. If that's that, I'm, I'm not sure. Is that, is that what it is? Or, or, or while this invitation to grace idea that you've seen is really, really inspiring, what you've seen in the Christians you've met has been not that inspiring. You know, with the judgment and the holier than thou and the fact that the Christianity you've seen doesn't really seem to make people kinder and more loving. Is, is that what it's about? Or, or maybe the Christianity that you've bumped into doesn't really seem relevant in your life, in your relationships, in your, 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 your you know, future, your family, your work, your marriage. And you're wondering, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to live this faith out? Is it just about being forgiven and then going to heaven one day? Or is there more to it for our lives now? I think that's a really important question, whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, I think for us as Christians, if you're a Christian, this will help us understand how to actually live in this invitation to grace. This is beautiful invitation to grace, but this allows us to live in that invitation and, and how to live our faith out practically in everyday ways that impacts our life. And, and again, if you're not a Christian, hopefully, I, I don't know, but hopefully, understanding you know, what Christianity looks like can hopefully kind of move the clutter of modern day Christianity out of the way and give you, give us a picture of what Jesus really meant when he spoke about faith and Christianity and who God is. So that's the question that I wanna ask today as we kick off this new series. What does it mean to be a Christian? Not, not become a Christian, but what does it mean to be <clears throat> A Christian, And the cool thing is, and this is always so great, Jesus did such a good job when he did what he did and offered us grace and explained this because Jesus answers this question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? He answers this question really, really, really clearly. So clearly, in fact, that I'm a little shocked that I never saw it earlier. <laughs> so, so, and, and I'm amazed that we don't talk about this idea, this picture that he gives as he explains what Christianity looks like. Because as you study the life of Jesus and you discover that he said something, he gave a specific idea, a specific picture, that, that as I've been reading, as I've been studying it, I've realized, man, it's a massive part 
of his overall message. In fact, with this idea, Jesus actually gave us a very specific and very clear picture of what it means to live as a Christian, what that looks like, what it means to live our faith out. He gave us a clear picture of what trusting him and following him actually looks like. And, and, and if you read what he taught and read his words, you really can't miss it. It's like glaringly obvious. So I'm shocked sometimes that I don't see it and that I forget about it because it's right there in so much of what he says. I, I think when we see this, you can't really unsee this. And, and hopefully when we see this, it will sort of frame everything he said and what Christianity looks like. When we understand it, I think it gives us the potential to change our whole understanding of Christianity. You see, uh, when Jesus taught the gospel and the good news, I'm gonna get to what this picture is, so hang in there, but when Jesus taught the gospel, the good news, it was, yes, God is good. He is trustworthy. He is kind. He is generous. He's unconditionally loving. And it was, yes, he does forgive sins because Jesus died for our sins. And yes, because of that, there is a promise of heaven. But Jesus didn't stop there. All of that was sort of a foundation to take us somewhere, and not just heaven, but to take us somewhere and make us something. You see, Jesus did all of that. He described all of that in order to invite us into a relationship with him that would impact every part of our lives in an incredibly positive way. In John 10, verse 10, it's a pretty famous verse. At the end of that verse, Jesus says something that, that gives us his heart for us. He says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus wants us to flourish. Jesus wants us to flourish. Throughout his teaching, he tells us that if we trust him and follow him, we can have that life. In fact, in the context, in John 10 verse 10, he tells us that and he tells us how. In John 10 verse 11, he tells us how we find that life, that flourishing, that life to the full. It's because of his sacrificial love. Here's what he says in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The way we find that, the way we enter into that is because the good shepherd, him, lays down his life for us. He gives his life for us. In verse nine, he kind of tells us how we enter into that grace and into that life. He says this in verse nine, I am the gate, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, whoever trusts me will be saved and they will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, I think it's really interesting that he said come in and go out because sometimes we think about being saved or, or you know, what God is doing is about I'm going to go to heaven one day, but he says go in, come in and go out. So I don't think he's talking about heaven, <laughs> like in and out. No, he's not talking about heaven here. He's talking about something else, and he says he'll come in and go out and find pasture. So this is not about one day in heaven, one day everything's going to be wonderful. No, I'm going in and going out and finding pasture. You'll be saved and find that. So I think he's saying that if we trust him, we will enter into something in this life. Right now, as we do life, we'll go in and out and find pasture. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is Jesus wants us to flourish, so much so that he laid down his life for us. The good shepherd lays down his life. And if we trust him and we enter through him and follow him, we will find pasture and go in and out. As we live our lives, we'll find the kind of life that he's called us to and created us for. So Christianity is not just a forgiven and going to heaven one day thing. It's more. It impacts our lives now. And if we trust him and follow him, 
and enter through him, we find something that he wants for us now. But again, what does that trusting him and following him and entering through him, what does that look like? He explains it, and, and it's, it's really cool. He explains it in this picture that we're going to kind of explore throughout this whole series. And as I've discovered it, I'm telling you, it just makes so much sense. I'm seeing everything Jesus says through this picture that he gives us now. And when you understand it, I think everything else he says, and everything else kind of makes more sense when you see Christianity and his words through this lens. So, so here is the picture that Jesus described what a relationship with God looks like, and he described what trusting him and following him looks like. Here's the picture. You ready for it? When Jesus spoke about Christianity, he called it a kingdom. The picture that he gives us, the idea that he gives us that says, this is what Christianity looks like. This is what trusting me looks like. This is what following me looks like. He called it a kingdom. Over and over and over again, as he's explaining what faith looks like, what following Jesus looks like, what following a trusting God looks like, almost always he talked about this idea, and he talked about it in the context of the kingdom of God. Let, let, me, let me show you a bunch of verses here, um, and, and we're not going to dive too deep into these now, but I just want to show you the idea that Jesus spoke about the kingdom all over the place, and I think he wants us to see faith, see Christianity through this lens of, he called it a kingdom. So, so Matthew 4 verse 23 shows us what Jesus was doing. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, the region that he was in, teaching in their synagogues. And what was it that he taught? Proclaiming the, king, the good news of the kingdom. There it is. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. That's what he called it. He didn't just stay in Galilee, though, wherever he went. Luke chapter 8 verse 1 says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming what? The good news of the kingdom of God. And it wasn't just him teaching. I mean, he told his followers to do the same. Look at Luke chapter 9 verse 2. He called his 12 disciples together, and he says this. It says this. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he's giving us this picture, this idea. Christianity is not just, you know, believe, forgiven, go to heaven. No, there's something more, and he talks about it like a kingdom. Uh, when, when they went out and they did that, they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. They came back, and in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says this. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, in verse 11. But the crowds who were around, they learned about it, and they followed him. And so what did Jesus do? He welcomed them and he took the time. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. That's what he spoke about all the time, the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, let's dive into some of the things that he actually said. I mean, this describes what he did, but let's look at some of the things he said. And again, we're not gonna look at it in depth now because that's what we're gonna do through the series and look at what he taught about the kingdom. But here's some snippets. In Matthew 6, verse nine, when Jesus is teaching people how to pray, look at this kingdom language in it. Matthew 6, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We've heard those words if you've grown up in church or grown up in any religious environment or, or watched a movie. I mean, these things are in there. It's all over the place. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. There's that language. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everywhere where he's teaching, he's going, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 33, when Jesus is speaking to people about worry and anxiety and how to handle this world filled with worry, he, he puts it in the context 
of this kingdom idea. It's telling us that, that this teaching about worry can't work if there's not a kingdom, if there's not the idea of the kingdom, because he says in there, seek first his kingdom. It's all over the place, this language of kingdom. Without understanding that it is a kingdom, we can't take little bits and pieces of what Jesus said and his teaching and try to make them work for us, in which we do sometimes. But we need to understand it within the bigger context of this kingdom idea. When we understand Jesus' words and teaching as a whole, we realize that everything that he says only comes together under this idea that he called it. A kingdom. His teachings only make sense. His teachings only work in the context of God's kingdom. And so he talks about it everywhere. In Matthew chapter 13 alone, in that one chapter, there's seven different teachings where Jesus is explaining Christianity and faith and what it looks like using parables, expressing and explaining it with this picture of the kingdom. Let me show you a few of the words in Matthew 13, 24. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. Everywhere Jesus went, over and over and over again, he spoke about this idea of the kingdom. And I think he did it on purpose. I think he wanted us to understand that faith, and Christianity, and what it looks like to trust him and follow him is like living in a kingdom where he is king. We'll break that down, what a kingdom really looks like in a minute, but I wanna show you one more thing. Even after Jesus died and rose again, he still called it a kingdom. In Acts chapter one, verse three, it says this, after his suffering, which is after his crucifixion, after his death, he presented himself to them, his, his disciples, the people who followed him, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, which in itself is pretty awesome that that happened. It's so crazy. But then look what happened. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and what did he speak about? He spoke about the kingdom of God. We see this everywhere. And even after Jesus left, his followers continued not just to teach about Jesus and his death and his resurrection, but to teach about what his death and his resurrection made possible. It, it made possible this invitation to live our lives in the kingdom of God. Acts 8 verse 12 says this, but when they believed, people who'd listened to Philip, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed, here it is, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 19 verse eight says this, Paul entered the synagogue in, in the city of Ephesus. He entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. It's everywhere. Last one, Acts 28 verse 30, the last one describing these, you know, his followers. Acts 28 verse 30 says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. This was in Rome now. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What was Paul teaching the whole time? What did Jesus teach? What did all the followers of Jesus teach? The kingdom of God and what that means and what it looks like and what life looks like as we 
enter into and live in that kingdom. Over and over and over again, the Christian life, trusting and following Jesus is described as living in the kingdom of God. This is how Jesus and everyone around him, all his earliest followers, described it. Jesus called it a kingdom. There's some implications. There's some clarity that comes with that. For me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes things make more sense. Jesus called it a kingdom. And he did this very, very clearly. In fact, in, in Luke 4, verse 43, you see that Jesus kind of says that this was his purpose to come and do this and, and invite people into this kingdom. Luke 4, 43. Uh, Jesus had just healed a bunch of people and, and they asked him to stay. But he said to them, I must proclaim, I can't stay, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to others also because this is why I was sent. <laughs> he, he literally says, the reason I came, the reason God sent me is to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God, not just forgiveness, Wow, that's amazing, not just grace, and that's incredible, and that changes everything, and that, that makes this possible, and not just heaven, but the kingdom of God. Forgiveness and grace invites us into a life in the kingdom of God, and Jesus says that that is incredibly good news. What does Christianity look like? Jesus called it a kingdom. And it's good news because everything that we have learned, this is so cool, everything that we have learned about the God that Jesus knows tells us that he's good and he's trustworthy and he's kind and he's generous and he's self-sacrificing and he's, he's unconditionally loving. And listen, if that God that's kind and generous and self-sacrificial and unconditionally loving, if that God is king, then living in his kingdom is a really, really good thing. And it makes sense that entering into that kingdom through Jesus will lead us to being saved and finding, like he said, life and life to the full. I think Jesus used this kingdom language very intentionally. In fact, um, I think as I counted and studied all this stuff, he talks about the kingdom around 127 times. This is a big deal in his teaching. He clearly did this on purpose to give us a picture of what trusting him and following him would look like. And you know what it looks like? If, if, if Jesus called it a kingdom, it looks like surrendering to his kingship in the kingdom of God. It looks like living under the rule and reign of God who is a good and gracious king. That's what it looks like. It looks like trusting that he really is king, a good and wonderful and gracious king, but that he is king. And when we do that, when we recognize this good and kind king and accept his invitation into his kingdom, life is found in his kingdom. That's what he talked about. It means allowing the king's word and will to be a defining factor in our lives. That's what kingdom language portrays. That's what living in a kingdom looks like. I mean, if you're in any kingdom, it means there's a king, right? That's what it means. And, and so, so it looks like allowing the king's words and this gracious, kind, beautiful, loving king, allowing his words and his will to be a defining factor in our lives. When Jesus spoke about the good news of the kingdom, I think he was saying this. I think he was saying, if you will live under the grace and authority and power and wisdom and protection of this good and kind king, 
you will find life and meaning and purpose. Dallas Willard, who, who studies and writes about the kingdom of God so beautifully and brilliantly, he, he just defines or describes the kingdom of God like this. He says, the kingdom of God is the effective range of God's will. It's the effective range of God's will. In other words, it is where God's will can be felt and followed. It's where God's will is felt and followed. And when Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, I think he taught that the kingdom of God can be experienced now in our lives. It's not only some future promise, it's now in our lives. And sometimes when we read scripture about the kingdom of God, um, the first thing sometimes we think, I know I have, and I know some people I've spoken to, the first thing you think when it's like the kingdom of God, you think heaven. I mean, like it's some eternal thing. Especially because often when you read the Bible, maybe you've bumped into this, there's parts where it says the kingdom of heaven. And when it says the kingdom of heaven, doesn't that mean heaven one day? It sounds like that. It's just heaven. But that's not what Jesus taught. He, he, yes, he did talk about heaven and an eternal kingdom of God. That's part of it. And, and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven includes the promise of eternal life. That's part of it. But it's more than that. Look at what, what, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. He says this. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Wait, what? The kingdom of God, and he's talking, these guys are asking, when will it come? When will it come? And he goes, no, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's within reach. You can have part of it. You can be part of it now is what he says. That's what Christianity teaches. And even though it's sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a reason why uh, you'll read the kingdom of heaven sometimes in scripture. Uh, let, me, let me explain that quick, why it's the kingdom of heaven and not just the kingdom of God. You see, <clears throat> there were four people who wrote an account of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them were eyewitnesses, or Luke interviewed all the eyewitnesses, and as they write about what Jesus taught, Mark, Luke, and John call it the kingdom of God. And Luke come, I mean, Matthew comes along and calls it the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, Matthew, what are you doing? Are you like rebelling? What, what are you doing? Why, why do you do that? But it's the same stories, it's the same things that Jesus said, but he calls it the kingdom of heaven. And what you realize, if you, if you study this, is that Matthew actually wrote his account of Jesus to a primarily Jewish audience. Mark, Luke, and John, they, they wrote it to others, but, but a primarily Jewish audience is who Matthew wrote to. And here's the thing about Jewish people. Their sacred writings, they did not want to write the word God out because God was so holy to them that they didn't want to write the word God. And so in order not to offend and in order to make it easier for these Jewish readers to read his account, he said, I'm gonna call it the kingdom of heaven. And it means exactly the same thing. And so he wrote the kingdom of heaven most of the time. He did say God in there a few times, but the kingdom of heaven he wrote so that his Jewish audience wouldn't go, I can't read this. Why did he write the word God out? Not to distract them. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven, but it's the same thing. It's a little unfortunate for us as English readers as we read the kingdom of heaven because that makes us think it's just heaven. <laughs> But if you understand why he did that, you understand that the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is exactly the same as the kingdom of God in Mark, Luke, and John. And it's not just an eternal thing. It is, he speaks about that as well, but it's also a present reality and an invitation to live our lives now under God's gracious and kind rule and reign. And Jesus made it clear. He made it clear that the invitation wasn't just forgiveness, it wasn't just heaven one day, but the invitation that he gave, the good news of the kingdom was an invitation into a life lived under God's gracious rule and reign. 
that leads to a changed life and leads to a flourishing life. Jesus wanted us, I think, I think, the reason he did this was because I think Jesus wanted us to see Christianity differently, to see our faith like a kingdom, to live out our faith as if we were citizens in a kingdom. I wanna show you one more verse, and this is like a foundational verse for this description of the kingdom. This is actually um, what Matthew describes as what Jesus did. When he started his ministry, he, he, he went out and did this. Look what it says, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, when Jesus started his ministry, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there are three big ideas in this that we need to understand, especially if this is what Jesus taught from then on. Um, this is his message. The three things are repent, the kingdom, and the idea that it's come near. Repent, the kingdom, and the idea that it's come near. We've spoken about the kingdom and the idea of what that looks like for a bit already, so I wanna focus in on repent and come near. The reason I wanna focus in on repent is because I think that word is one of the most misunderstood Christian words, and the reason it's misunderstood is because most of the time when it's said, what it's meant as, or what we hear is stop it, or change, or shape up. That's what we think it means. And it's usually said with this air of judgment and condemnation that at, like the speaker looks at someone and goes, hey, you're not doing it right, so repent. And we say that. But listen, that's not at all what that word means. It, it's, it's not what it means. It's not shape up. It's not change. It's not stop it. The word repent, when Jesus used it, it's the Greek word. When Jesus spoke this, it's the Greek word metanoio. Metanoia, and it actually means this, to change one's mind. The word repent, when Jesus said it, means, meant to change one's mind, to adopt another view. Repent, when Jesus said it, was to adopt another view. Dallas Willard, again, who, who talks about this stuff, says that the best English word for the real meaning of repent is an interesting word. It's metacognition. Metacognition, and like, I don't understand what that means, so I had to look it up. Metacognition means this. Think about your thinking. Think about what you think. Uh, definition is awareness and understanding of one's own thought processes. That's what metacognition is. And it's a thing that's used in education and academia all the time. When you go to school, one of the stated goals is to evaluate your thinking and to see if it's accurate. It's to evaluate what you think, to think about what you think, and if necessary, change what you think. That is what education is about, and that's what this word repent means. So when Jesus used the word metanoio, repent, he was saying, I want you to think about how you see this. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about me. I want you to think about how you think about me. I want you to think about how you see Christianity. Because as I'm showing up, Jesus would say, as I'm showing up, I'm bringing with me a whole new way of not just connecting with God, but a whole new way of life. So I want you to think about how you see all this, and I want you to see if it fits in with what I'm saying. See if it fits in with what's accurate. So I want you to think about it, how you see life and God and you, and I want you to adopt another view. And the view that I want you to adopt is this. There is a kingdom, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. He says, repent, 
change your mind, not stop it. He says, repent, I want you to change your mind, adopt another view. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what does come near mean? He's basically saying what we've kind of alluded to already, and that is that the kingdom of heaven is not a thing one day. It's not just heaven after you die. No, Jesus says that it has come near. You can reach out and you can touch it. Another translation says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. When Jesus showed up, he's the king, and he brought the kingdom with him. And he wants us to live our lives in the kingdom now. Remember that prayer that we looked at earlier, the prayer that he taught us to pray? He said, your kingdom, not it's there, but your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wasn't just teaching about God's eternal kingdom one day. He was inviting people to live their lives in the kingdom now. And so he says, repent, adopt a new view. Can you see this differently? How are you seeing it? Because I wanna give you a whole new view. I want you to adopt a whole new view. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is in your midst. And so what he says is this, I'm inviting you to not just believe in me. That's awesome. And man, when you can believe in me, it changes everything. And it, and it puts, you know, gets you in this place where you can see and experience the kingdom. But it's not just about believing in me. It's not just about accepting my grace and my forgiveness, which again is phenomenal and awesome. And it's not just about discovering a hope of heaven one day. That's not just what Christianity is about. Christianity is also about living your life now in the kingdom of God, to trust me and to follow me as someone who has surrendered to a good and kind king and to live your life in my kingdom now. I think Jesus called it a kingdom to give us a way to understand what living by faith in him and following him looks like. And I love the picture. I mean, as I've been studying this, it's like, oh my gosh, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. This kingdom picture, just everything sort of fits in there. And it's like, oh wow, it reveals so much. He said that God is king, a good and beautiful king who is kind and generous and unconditionally loving and trustworthy. So loving, in fact, that he sent his own son into the world that whoever believes in him has life and life to the full. In other words, Christianity teaches that God who loves us and knows us and wants our best has made a way that we can find that life. And it is found in his kingdom, living under his rule and his reign within his will, that human flourishing happens best under the rule and reign of God's beautiful and gracious will, that we can be all we were meant to be. We can have the life like, like we were meant to live when we live our lives under the grace and authority and protection of God who is king in his kingdom. This picture has helped me a bunch. Um, <laughs> I, I, love, I love the picture of the kingdom because here's why it's helped me. Because when I don't see it this way, when I don't see it as the kingdom, then I end up being the king of my own world. <laughs> and, and, and I end up being the king of my own life. And here's, here's what happens. When I'm the king of my own life and my own world, a few things happen. I'll just tell you two of them right now. Um, but, but here's what happens when I'm the king of my own world. My tendency to be self-centered taints everything when I'm the king of my own world. And I end up wanting to build my own kingdom. 
And everything I do is about my own kingdom. And I want everyone else around me to surrender to which kingdom? Mine. And when that happens, I'm telling you, everything goes wrong. Things, things just go wrong. Just ask my wife and my kids. They know that when it's about me and my kingdom, or when I'm building my kingdom, they feel it. But I'm telling you, when I am not the king, and when I surrender to God's kingdom and his will, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better man. Our marriage is better. Our parenting is better. It's just, I'm convinced that, that, that most of the problems in our world, most of the problems in our relationships, most of the problems in our marriages come when we are trying to fight to build our own little kingdoms. That's a big deal. Most of the problems we bump into is when we're all trying to build our own little kingdoms and you must surrender to mine and I want my way, my will, my kingdom. And this picture just helps me see that clearly when I'm doing it. The thing is, Jesus called it a kingdom, and because he called it a kingdom, I learned that there is a king, and I'm not it. Because Jesus called it a kingdom, I see, oh my gosh, there's a king, and I am not it. And when I live in his kingdom, not mine, I find a life and relationships that are way fuller than, what I'm, than, than, than when I'm trying to build my own kingdom, because it's not then tainted by my self-centeredness. When it's my kingdom, it's tainted by my self-centeredness and my pride. When it's his kingdom, man, things are different. So that's the first thing that happens. I, I kind of make myself king, and, and I, everything's tainted by my self-centeredness. The second thing that happens when, when I make myself king is that I begin to feel this incredible pressure of being the king of my world. Here's what I mean. If I'm king, that means that I'm ultimately, ultimately responsible for everything in my life. Everything. I'm ultimately responsible for my future. I'm ultimately responsible for my eternity. I'm ultimately responsible for overcoming my sin and my weaknesses and my issues. I'm ultimately responsible for that. I'm ultimately responsible for my own security. And I'm telling you, I have realized that I am not that powerful. I'm not good at that. I can't even control my own desires. I want things that I know I shouldn't want and I don't want things that I know I should want. I can't even control that. I can't control other people and I can't control this broken world. And if I'm king and I'm ultimately responsible, man, that's a weight of pressure. And I, I, I know that I can't control the brokenness of this world and I certainly can't control death and what happens after that. I know that. And if I'm king... I feel the pressure to worry about all of that. But if I'm not king, if I'm surrendered to a power that is greater than me, who loves me and cares for me and died for me and promises his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his help and his strength and his wisdom, I'm telling you, then I can rest. Whew, it's so big for me then I can rest in the fact that the king who loves me is ultimately responsible for me. But that doesn't come if I'm building my own kingdom. If I'm king, then the only strength and the only grace and the only wisdom I have is my own, and I don't have that much. I don't. Peace and comfort. The beautiful picture of this kingdom idea is that peace and comfort and life and life change comes when I surrender to him and I enter and live in his kingdom. Jesus called it a kingdom, and he said that he came so that we can have life, and life to the full. 
And that life is found when we enter in and live in his kingdom, when we surrender to him as king, when we submit to his gracious and kind and wise rule and reign. I really believe, I really believe that human flourishing, human flourishing happens best, not when we are fighting to build our own kingdoms, but when we enter his. I think that's when human flourishing happens best. So Jesus made it absolutely clear what living like a Christian looks like. He called it a kingdom. That's what he called it. And he's invited all of us, all of us, to find the life and the grace and the strength and the hope and the peace that he's offered us in that kingdom. It's not found in our own, (laughs) but it's found in his kingdom. So here's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks. We're gonna go on a journey exploring what Jesus said about the kingdom of God and what it looks like to live in that kingdom. It's incredible stuff, and I hope, I hope you can join us as we explore what he said. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you are good and kind and gracious and self-sacrificing and trustworthy and generous. And thank you that you've invited us to live under the authority, under the strength, under the grace of that kingdom, that you are the king. Father, thank you that you've um, called us into that so that we can find life and find it to the full. Jesus, thank you that that's what you did, and thank you that the, the, the news about the kingdom is good news. And Father, I pray that you'll help us see it differently. That word repent, that you'd help us adopt a new view of, of what faith in Christianity looks like, and that it's this beautiful picture, this good news of the kingdom. And I pray that as we look at this, that you will continue to allow us to experience the grace and the mercy and the life change that comes from you. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.